0: Hey, just want to get ahead of this as always to remind you that this podcast contains adult language and adult themes. In addition, I will be touching upon various uh, mythologies and religions that I did not grow up as a part of, and in no way is this episode meant to belittle, uh, make light of, or to act as an expert upon any of these things. If for any reason you find what I have said to be incorrect or improper, feel free to please let me know. Uh, You can contact me at a white trash historian on instagram so this is the start of a new segment i'm going to try out called the mythos of there's a lot of different shows out there that have various pulls from mythology and folklore and on this these segments what i'll do is i'll take a bunch of episodes um potentially up to a season but i'm not going to commit to that. For example, this first one I did, I didn't do the full season, but um, we'll get to that in a little bit. But yeah, we'll take a good chunk of the, uh, some episodes, look over them, find all the mythological and folkloric contexts, and uh, try to give some fun little stories around each episode, whether it be a direct one-to-one or kind of some fun word association but it's a fun little background into telling some more stories. Um, here we go. This will be our first segment, the mythos of, this, of part of season one of Charmed. Hey everybody, welcome back to this week's episode. As always, I'm your host, Drew the Millennial with a history degree yeah um this is one of the first of some new segment stuff i'm trying out over the next few weeks um so this is the mythos of charmed season one so what i did um i got an actual percentage i didn't get through all 22 episodes um life happened um if we're being 100% honest i uh, i was going to work on it i have a long weekend and um I uh, may or may not have been a messy bitch who got uh, really drunk and played video games yesterday instead of working on podcast research. Um, so I'm only going to be bringing 64% of this first season of Charmed, which is the first 14 episodes. Um, as many people know, Charmed was a uh, big phenomena based off of uh, the power of three witches uh, originally, it was uh, Haley Marie Combs as Piper. You had uh, Shannon Doherty as Prue, uh, short for Prudence, and then you had Elsa Milano as Phoebe. Uh, the first season aired from uh, nineteen ninety eight through nineteen ninety nine. Um, on f- uh, to as a means of dating myself, and uh, accidentally, maybe or maybe not, making my listeners feel old. Um, at the time, I would have been uh, two going on three. <laughs> um cuz my parents got married in the middle of this season for example so yeah um i may be millennial but i'm at the i'm at the short end i'm a baby millennial so yeah so the current plan is i'm going to go through the first 14 episodes um i'll give you the title a tiny synopsis and um kind of work in some of these I had to get a bit creative with because one of the things people did on the writers of charmed did was kind of use warlock as a catch-all term so I had to get a little creative with some of these and some of these are straight up um, a little bit of word association but I tried to find a fun story to tell for you to make up for it so yeah if you guys are ready let's uh get this ball on the road So the first episode, uh, which aired on October 7th, 1998, was known as Something Wicca This Way Comes. In the episode, uh, we have uh, Phoebe returning from New York to the uh, Hallowell Manor, uh, which is currently being maintained by Prue and Piper. And what it was is that uh, Prue was a bit annoyed with Phoebe because Phoebe went off to uh, be sort of a train wreck in New York and uh, while her and piper took care of their grandmother who owned the property but she left it to the three of them um in the episode uh as phoebe is messing around in the house she plays with a spirit board um because you know obviously you have to play with a fucking wheat Wii- spirit board um one of the fun little facts about ouija boards i guess one of the first little tangents will go on is um originally since they were just a play toy the real fucked up thing about it <laughs> Is that it was like a toy, but they were still made out of recycled coffin wood, which has a brings up a lot of questions. If I'm remembering the little article I read about it, um, I want to say they were about like a dollar each, and it was during the spiritualist movement. So it's like, hey, if you can't afford you know hundreds of dollars for a kook spiritualist to make knocking noises under a table and tell it's your grandma, uh, you could do it at home uh, for a dollar. Which was, like, a lot more back then. Back when It, it was definitely be- well, when we still had, like, the gold standard. So, like, a dollar equaled its weight in gold, literally. Um, and then we fucked that up. But uh, it's not time to talk about the economy. We're going to talk about Charmed. So. In this episode, um, we meet our first warlock. Uh, which will become a catch-all term for a lot of the bad men in the show. But... Originally, a warlock is just the male version of the word for a witch. It uh, comes from the old English word warlogia, meaning a deceiver or breaker of oaths. It was believed, um, it was a Scottish term. It was believed that the betray- the breaker of oaths was that they turned their back on baptism and made a pact with auld olme," which was the Scottish term for the devil. I think it means like old man uh they um in most traditions warlocks are like the dark side of magic so you have your sorcerers and you have your warlocks and you have your wizards so you got your wizards which are tend to be good you got your sorcerers which are kind of neutral and then you got your warlocks which are the epitome of bad magic their abilities vary from warlock to warlock which is something that charmed uh uses very liberally and then um because it sometimes depends on whether or not they have like they're drawing on denominations demonic power if they are working with um, other demons or just the type of magic they decided to focus in it genuinely depends in this episode uh, what is happening is that uh, there is a man killing uh, witches around San Francisco where this uh, show takes place and it turns out lo and behold that it's actually. Piper's boyfriend who was waiting for Piper and her sisters to awaken as witches so that he could kill them um it also has the awkward thing of them getting a cat who just comes and goes whose name I can't remember but it's a beautiful Siamese and uh Prue's ex-boyfriend Andy is starts getting a little bit of a suspicion for them because they get the cat of a dead witch that he finds in the beginning of the episode Yeah, so that was one of the fun things, is, like, there's a lot of generic shit about Warlocks, and then, of course, when I was Googling it, it's like, did you mean Warlocks in 5th edition D&D? And I'm like, no, I fucking don't. I want mythology, please, and thank you. No tea, no shade to Dungeons & Dragons. That's just not what I'm looking for right now. The second episode is I've Got You Under My Skin, which premiered on October 14th, 1998. Um... So in this episode, you have a demon named Javna, who is actually a charm creation. There is, from what I could find a through a bunch of different Googling, um, there's no real demon who sucks the youth out of people. Um, in this episode, uh, Javna is a low-level demon who uses the evil eye to suck the life force from young women in order to make himself young um in the episode they're dealing with just kind of the ramifications of the pi- powers uh piper has an excellent little mini arc because she it, had believed in a judeo-christian god and now she's worried about whether or not she can go into a church because she saw a bunch of stuff about um like the salem witch trials. and there's that whole part in the uh, king james bible there's a verse that's like thou shall not suffer a witch to live which was always like really awkward because like I grew up neo-pagan and Wiccan and uh my grandmother on my father's side <laughs> had that passage bookmarked in her bible which was uh, always a fun point of contention with old grandma but uh I don't know she's dead so I guess I kind of won but um I don't know I liked her better than my living grandma but that's a whole nother tangent <laughs> So one of the things about this is uh, Javna gets defeated when he tries to trap Phoebe to be one of his victims, and the two sisters find him, and they're able to use the Hand of Fatima to seal his powers away. Now, although Javna isn't a real thing, the Hand of Fatima is. So the Hand of Fatima, which in some traditions is known as the Hamsa, I believe that's its term in... um, hindu and buddhist traditions is you've seen it before it's like a hand and it's got its thumb and pinky kind of at a curve and it's got an eye in the center with a bunch of intricate markings around it kind of like a henta a henna tattoo <laughs> that was a bad slip of the tongue I almost said a hentai tattoo uh that is not no nope. henna tattoo so what it is is it's a symbolism it's a ward of the evil eye and it's supposed to draw in good luck Um, Which makes sense, because in the episode they talk about how in the 7th century was the last time Javna really had power and they were banished by Muhammad. The uh, hand of Fatima, or the Hamsa, uh, is particularly a symbol in uh, Jewish and Islamic. It just really changes depending on whose hand it is. So like in the Jewish tradition, it is the hand of Miriam, who is uh, Moses' sister whereas in islam it's fatima who is the daughter of muhammad um you can uh, if you go to any new age store you can 100 percent get a trinket that has the hand of fatima or a hamsa on it um it is not seen as sacrilegious for people who are not judeo-christian to own it because it's seen as just a general ward against uh, the evil eye and a uh, bringer of good luck so next we have uh, Thank You for Not Morphing, which came out on October 21st, 1998. In this episode, we have uh, the return of the deadbeat dad, whose name is Victor, who walked out on the sister's mother. Prue is very not happy that um, they're back. he's back, whereas uh, Phoebe just wants to try to get to know him because he left shortly after she was born, and Piper just, you know is stuck in the middle because she's the middle child and that's what she's forced to do until season four probably should have done a spoiler alert for charmed but um the series has been out for christ uh 20 uh, going on 25 years yeah 25 years so um i think that's a good frame of reference uh because prue dies so if for some reason, I can t- when I keep doing episodes of this mythos of, if people want me to keep doing Charmed, I will not do past season three. Don't get me wrong, Rose McGowan does an excellent job as, God, I always forget her fucking name. I can't think of her name. ever this happens to me, like, every other week. <laughs> I will be thinking or doing something with Charmed and I'll be like, yeah, I liked it until season four when Rose McGowan took over and was the extra sister because uh, Shannon Doherty uh, left the show. Um, um, Also, power to Shannon Doherty, um, who recently learned that her breast cancer went to her brain and uh, I wish her only the best and a speedy recovery if uh, recovery is possible. Um, And like, Rose McGowan's a good actress, I just... I think the series really fell off the hill. So if I continue to do uh, the mythos of um, I won't go past season three of Charmed. Um, It's similar to like I won't go past Buffy season five because season five is where they wanted the show to end and then Joss Whedon got a bunch of money and was for and essentially was somewhat forced to keep making to make two more seasons of Buffy. And season six has a lot of issues with uh, grief and questionable consent and um, some stuff for me that's emotionally hard for um, because of things that have happened in my life and I don't want to fucking deal with it. Um, So yeah, those are some quick little provisos in the middle of yet another tangent. So... And thank you for not morphing. Uh, there are shapeshifters who are the neighbors who are trying to get the Book of Shadows because they believe that the Book of Shadows power is directly linked to the sisters. Um, which is an incredibly generic ass thing. So in the episode, we see them change into animals and uh, other people. And uh, in some cases into certain types of objects. Oh, excuse me. Sorry, it's really warm in here, and I got too much, like, the sun. So I'm a little sleepy. But um, speaking generally about uh, shape-shifting, so there beings that can take multiple forms, uh, changing from humans to different animals and back into people. In a generic term, the term is therianthropy which is the mythological ability or affliction of individuals to turn into animals by means of shape-shifting. Uh, Therianthropy is um, not to be confused with lycanthropy, which is werewolfism. Um, Therianthropy is a more generic way of the term. Traditionally, it tends to stick to more mammals, but um, you know you do have your people that like transform into birds and lizards and shit. What's really interesting, one of the things I found when I was uh, looking around in this, is that uh, the concept of, like, shape-shifting has been around since Paleolithic times. So in the uh, archaeological site of Le trois Frères in France, where we have a lot of the cave drawings, uh, for English that's just the Three Brothers, um, there is a cave drawing known as the Sorcerer, which has to do with the concept of uh, people changing their shape into animals. And I just think that's sort of neat that it's been around with us since Paleolithic times. There was a special term for, uh, I think it was, like, Thaleofa- no, not Thaleo- uh, There was a term for, like, animal head. And it is not theriophallic because that is animal penis. <laughs> which is not the theme of this episode and not something I plan on getting into at any point. So we're just going to move on because I can't think of the actual word and I'm not going to make any more weird-ass slips. Theriocephalic, I think it might be. That might be why I had trouble with it because cephal- cephalic means head. So theriocephalic maybe, which is just animal-headed gods. Uh, there's probably a better word for that. Anyway, the fourth episode <laughs> is uh, called Dead Men Dating. It came out on October 28, 1998. In this episode, uh, Piper uh, it f- kind of falls in love with the ghost of a uh, Chinese man who was murdered by the mafia so that a member of the Chinese mafia could fake his own death. And the man appeals to Piper so that he can be saved before the uh, Chinese death spirit will throw him into hell for not being having a proper burial. So I could do a whole episode on ghosts it'd be super easy I've talked about ghosts before in let's see I talked about poltergeists a little bit in the Sadie the Sadie Hawkins Monster Mash first episode because I was talking about uh, monster prom so I talked a little bit about poltergeists in that one um in the way back in the second episode which I tell people is the first episode because I don't love the first episode Um, We talked about the ghost of Guinevere's mother, who was a nude woman with uh, frogs on her titties, who tried to warn Guinevere that no dick is worth it, that uh, she'll be sent to hell. Um, But, you know, maybe she didn't account for that thing Lancelot could do with his tongue. We don't know. He was French. And when I grew up, I was always taught there's two things you need to know about the French. They fight with their feet and they fuck with their mouths. So, like, it could have been worth it. Before people get upset, I'm actually like I'm part French. That's not me being some like that's not my the English side of my family being you know weird about the French. Like I am part French, so that's how I was raised. Anyway, so if <laughs> um, my original point to all this <laughs> is that one of the common tropes in ancient ghost stories. Has to do with this concept of the incorrect burial leading to a ghost. There's a famous story by one of the Pliny's, I don't remember which one, which had this like old Stoic, and there was a house in Athens that had like super cheap rent for what it was, but it was because there was constantly this gross rattling chain noise that drove people away. So, what they did is this Stoic philosopher moved in, and he's like, I'm gonna go to the bottom of this and get this nice place on cheap fucking rent and one night he goes and investigates the spooky chain noise and lo and behold it's the ghost of a slave bound up in chains who leads him out into the courtyard so he makes a mark on the ground and then the following morning he goes and he digs up that place and finds the bones of an improperly buried athenian slave so by giving that slave a proper burial the house is no more haunted and he gets a good he gets a great house at a cheap right In this episode, uh, the spirit that is after the young man is named Yama. So Yama is a uh, death god of multiple East Asian traditions. Um, Before Buddhism, Yama was a Hindu god of death who was the judge of the underworld. So what they would do is they decided the punishments for the dead and sort of like... Think like that episode of The Simpsons with the ironic punishments division in hell or in Dante's Inferno, that whole fucking mess. However, when Buddhism took over in the Pali canon, uh, he holds a similar position, but instead of actually dealing with himself, he sends messengers to remind humans of the impertinence of life, whether it be death, sickness, or old age. Um, In a lot of depictions, uh, Yama is this sort of personification of the impertinence of life and also is shown to hold the wheel of fate. And a uh, a very interesting character. I might touch on him again if I ever do a, like a episode on like Hindu mythology. This isn't even the last time I talk about Hindu mythology today. Our next episode is one that's gonna get a bit rough before it gets better, and I'm sorry. So this is Dream Sorcerer. It came out on the fourth of November, nineteen ninety eight. Uh, so in this episode, there is a sleep researcher uh, who is uh, traveling into women's dreams so he can kill them when they're vulnerable uh in the episode uh he's trying to kill prue but through the power of magic and sister love and whatever they are able to uh defeat him in the dream which causes him to die in real life so the thing is is i tried looking into a bunch of dream do you mention a bunch of, and like some of them had nightmares and like since it's a man preying on women you know there's the concept of the incubus but i'm like it can't be an incubus because it's not you know he's not fucking these women he's just killing them so the best I could find was the dream demons from the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. <laughs> so these are three serpentine demons who are uh, driven solely by mayhem and chaos, who wish to, uh, among other things, break down the barrier between the dream world and reality. Uh, they do, one of the ways they do so is by uh, resurrecting the uh, child rapist and killer, uh, Freddy Krueger, who is sent to do their building and uh, attempts to murder all of the children. that was the best I could do I could not find a lot of good dream demons I kept I kept looking like there was stuff where it's like oh well there's the Baku and uh Asian traditions which eat dreams and I'm like no that doesn't work and then there was a uh, some Slavic creature that like sits on your chest and gives you nightmares I'm like that kind of works but at the same time like the doctor's in a separate area and like that demon's less about like nightmares and more about sleep paralysis so like uh The next episode is the wedding from hell eleven eleven ninety eight. In this episode, the girls help a spurned bride whose uh, fiance ditched her and was being manipulated by his mother and a uh, succubus into marrying her. I've talked about succubuses before, or succubi. I want to say that was also the Sadie Hawkins Monster Mash pregame. I believe I talked a bit about Rosario plus Vampire on there, and one of the creatures was a succubus. Uh, but for people who didn't listen to the episode, a succubus is a sex demon from hell to get whose job it is is to gather semen from men in order to deliver that semen to incubi and the devil himself in order to uh, create the antichrist. Because uh, in most Christian traditions, uh, Satan does not have the ability to create; he can only destroy. Therefore, he needs to steal semen. This comes from the Latin uh, saccare, which is to lie beneath. Um, One thing I've seen online is an interesting thing where it's like instead of doing like the gender dichotomy of being like succubi or female, incubi or male, uh, succubi are bottoms and incubi are tops, which is also kind of fun. Uh, There's also the uh, fun thing I heard in a different podcast called uh, We're Not So Different uh which is a medieval history podcast and uh Eleanor Yanega uh compares them to is it are you the cream pied or the cream pyre so that's how you tell an incubus and the succubus part you know succubi want to be cream pied while incubi are cream pyres um if you wanted some fun grass humor um and as always we also have the whole thing where uh succubi are used as a way to either explain uh sleep paralysis or the uh Uh, concept of nocturnal ejaculations next is an episode called the fourth sister uh which came out on the 18th of november 98 uh in this episode there is a young woman who is similar to the charm ones and she's being manipulated by a sorceress demon named Kali. uh to resurrect a and tries to, she tries to take over this young woman's body however uh the uh with the help of phoebe they trap this sorceress in a mirror and destroy the mirror which vanquishes her and the other uh, sister goes off to live a good life instead of being a naughty teen so this runs into one of those little things where it's uh, problematic to call collie a demon because this is a tradition that christianity does i don't want to say a lot but kind of um where they in older christian times there was this kind of thing where like there would either be an absorption or a sort of castigation of local traditions when they came around um for example we'll do uh bridget of Calder. So in the Irish tradition, Brigid, um, if you go back for, far enough, was a fire goddess who also helped with a fire in the harvest. However, when uh, Christianity took over uh, Ireland, there were uh, she was slowly turned into this uh, saintly woman. And there's a lot of different traditions where the local pagan gods were either... Taken in and converted into saints, or they became demons of hell. And it's really problematic a little bit uh, trying to say that another uh, culture's gods are a demon. So, most of what I've got to have about Kali is from a book that I have, which is the uh, Dictionary of Hindu Folklore and Mythology. Um, it's a little outdated. It was written by an anthropologist in the 1990s, um, around the time of this episode. So, I apologize in advance if some of this stuff is less acceptable now in current day uh, Hindi traditions. But what I have, uh, the Kali or Kali Ma, is the most famous goddess of Hindu myth, generally depicted as a dark-skinned, naked, gaunt, four-armed woman uh, carrying multiple weapons who devours all beings. She is often shown uh, wearing a uh, garland of skulls, and her skirt is made of severed arms. Her big thing is that uh, everything about her is symbolic, Her skin tone hints at the disillusion of all individuality in the timeless night, and her nudity is the stripping away of the illusions in which life is entangled. Because this is, she is meant to be the personification of, like, the destruction and the chaos, chaotic side of the god Shiva, god of, you know, creation and destruction. My... Knowledge of Kali. It comes from Black Butler, but I did look it up before this episode to be safe to make sure it was an actual story. (laughs) But Kali, there's a story of Kali Ma where uh, she is off rampaging and killing a bunch of demons. And in order to stop her, Shiva throws himself at her feet and she steps on him. And that act of stepping on her husband kind of is what snaps her back into reality and stops the killing spree um she her worship usually involves sacrifice uh a lot of people in the west may know her from the fags which uh, used to sacrifice humans to kali by means of ritualistic strangulation however at least by the writing of the uh, hindu dictionary i have uh that practice has been replaced with the sacrifice of goats Alright, these next couple uh, I had to get a little creative with. Uh, So this one, The Truth is Out There and It Hurts, which came out on the 25th of November, 98. This has to do with a warlock who travels back in time to kill all the people involved in the creation of a warlock repellent. Uh, So in Terminator style, this warlock is going around killing researchers and then is planning on killing a pregnant woman who has the child of the the man who will be instrumental in this warlock repellent. The charmed version of Sarah Connor. Side note, I need people to validate me and remind others that the Sarah Connor Sarah Connor Chronicles were an actual show that fucking slapped and people need to remember it and respect it um so what I did is I looked for different demons who manipulated time I looked for various things and I think since this had to do with a pregnant woman the fun one I found for this is we're going into some Irish mythology so I'm going to tell you a story about the god Dagda dadga dadga d-a-d-g-a so this is the irish god of time fertility magic agriculture and masculinity uh he was the um chief god so think your zeus to the other olympians this is your dagda to the other irish gods so for the story, which has a lot to do with pregnancy and uh, time things, is so uh, he wanted to have an affair with Bowen, the goddess of the river Boyne. So in order to do so, he sent away her husband Elkmar, and sent him away for a one day task. However, when he laid with Bowen, he impregnated her. So in order to hide the pregnancy from his from Elmar, He casted a spell making the sun stand still so that this one-day task took nine months for the gestation of the baby. This child, whose name is Angus, because of course it is. That's, so one of the fun things about studying history and mythology, especially as the older you get, not like as older as I'm getting, but the older that like the traditions you get into, one of the issues you run into is that everybody has the same goddamn names, like, in Irish mythology, the place is lousy with Anguses and Ferguses. You go, if you try to study any fucking Roman history, good fucking luck. Because, like, everybody has the same goddamn name. Because everybody wanted to claim a... Because, like, your name had to do with your family line. so, like, everybody who are descendants of Julius Caesar, in order to uh, show off that they were part of the uh, that the Julia line... All the men were named Julius, and all the women were named Julia. Um, some ways this is annoying. For example, I've mentioned on previous podcasts uh, Agrippine of the Younger, who was the, who is a very famous Roman woman who was uh, entrenched in the lives of five different emperors because she was the granddaughter of the first one, uh, niece of the second, sister to the third, niece and wife to the fourth, and mother to the fifth. Her name is Julia Agrippina. And the reason we call her Agrippina the Younger is because her mother's name is also Julia Agrippina. And it's that kind of annoying shit, especially when dealing with Roman history, because everybody has the same goddamn names. My favorite character of all Roman history is a name named Plublius Claudius Pulcher. And which which is also funny because it just means that he's part of the Claudio family and the uh, epithets on his name just meant he was pretty. Um, and then his most famous descendant is Publius Claudius Pulcher, who got murdered in the streets of Rome, um, for being a bit of an asshole. Anyway, Angus, uh, uses Dagda's tricks and power to inherit Elmar's land, El, El, that's not a that's a C, Elkmar's lands by, so what he does is he's like, I want them for day and night. And Elkmar, not thinking things through, is like, yeah, I can have it for a day and night. Oh, sorry, I don't know why I keep yawning. I slept fine. The cat didn't even wake me up. But yeah, so uh, he's like, I want them for day and night. And Elkmar is like, okay, deal. And what he doesn't think about is he didn't say a day or night. He says for day and night. So that means he owns it throughout all time. Um, It's supposed to be a fun little thing showing that, like, yes, this is the son of uh, Dagda, uh, who uses uh, magic for trickery. Guess who learned how to do a mid-roll? That's right. Welcome to the middle of the episode. Uh, I'm going to do a quick plug for the Patreon. Uh, If you want to support this podcast financially, you can do so at patreon.com slash cavalcade of tales. For $5 a month, you can join the We Don't Talk About Book Club book club and be a member of the official Discord. Um, in addition, there will be uh, small perks, is, such as uh, monthly sh- uh, Zoom meetings about the book. We've got uh, at higher tiers. There's a cho- uh, the ability to help choose the book, help choose future episode topics, and among other things. And if you'd like to do all of that, um, you could do so at patreon.com slash cavalcade of tales. This month's book for the month of July is The Five, The Untold Stories of the Women of the Jack Ripper Cases by Hallie Rubenhold. It is an excellent book written by social historian uh, Hallie Rubenhold, who uh, originally used to do um, stories about the uh, history of sex workers, uh, but uh, got into this sort of thing of looking at true crime and looking at the uh, trying to tell the stories of the women who were victimized in these crimes. Because we, oh, so often we think about, you know, your well, fucking Jeffrey Dahmers, your Gacy's, your fucking you're Jack the Ripper's. We're so entrenched on the man, but can anybody name one of their victims? Can you tell us anything about the victims? And so in the book, she goes over the lives of the women who were taken by Jack the Ripper and the... A string of events that brought them to be led to Whitechapel and be vulnerable in that time it's an excellent work it brings a lot of what's into question um if you're the type of person who likes true crime and women's history i highly recommend it even if you don't join the patreon at patreon.com slash cavalcade of tales but that is our book club for june and with that our shameless plug is over All right, so the next episode we'll be covering is called "The Witch's Back," which came out on December 16th, 98. So in this episode, there is a a demon locked in a locket uh, who is accidentally released by Prue because the demon, the warlock, could only be released from the locket by the bloodline of the Warrens. In this episode, we learn a lot about the history of the magical gift that the sisters have. As they're fighting this uh, warlock from, it would be 18th, no, it would be 17th century New England. Because it's from Colonial, so that's 16th into 1700s. So that's the 17th into 18th century. Um, In order to help vanquish him, the sisters uh, bring back uh, Melinda Warren, the sort of matriarch and the original witch. And it's a good episode also about like family. So haunted objects are something I tried to look into, but I couldn't find anything that was very educational. It was a lot of people trying to sell haunted dolls on eBay, um, which seems like it should, like it should violate some term of service. I don't get how that's okay. <laughs> like in the cons, it like if you believe in a haunted doll, you believe that someone's soul is trapped in an object. And you think it's okay to sell that on eBay. It's already bad enough, like, most old dolls are creepy as hell. I had a great-aunt. Well, she was my great-great-great-great-great-great-aunt Rowena. And she was this tiny old woman who was older than time, and she loved collecting dolls. So, like, walking into her house... Like, I hated going over to her house... And into her living room, because I swear to God, walking into her living room looked like it was a casting call for the bride of Chucky. It was just all these creepy fucking little girl dolls just from like wall to ceiling. I'm like, this is cannot be okay. But that's what you get when your great aunt was someone who. Let's see, she died at 105. So she was alive during the Great Depression. So it was probably nice for her to own all those dolls and, you know, rest in power, but it was fucking terrifying to be in that house. So instead I looked, I started being like, okay, well, what about lockets? And what I found was the locket of the Lady of the Lake. So uh, plot twist, we're doing some Arthuriana. I did not know this story until I started researching, so this is a fun one to add to my Arthuriana lexicon. So, the locket of the Lady of the Lake was a jeweled necklace given to Sir Pellias after, after he assisted an elderly woman across a river. It is an enchanted, so its wearer it would be unfathomably loved. So, Pellias is one of the uh, younger knights in the round table, and the way his story goes, um, especially in uh, Le Mort d'Arteur, which is the French collection of Arthuriana, because if there's one thing that um, never quite made sense to me is the fact that the English incredibly love this uh, story, this group of tales, this French group of tales about their king, which involve their English powerful king being cucked by a French knight. But <laughs> speaking of cucking, it's apparently a theme. So in this story, Pellias falls in love with a woman named Etard. And he is lamenting over his love because it's a courtly romance. And he's like, God, I wish I could get a piece of that. And so Gawain comes and uh, Gawain's like, don't worry, I got this. I will help you. So what he does is he dresses in Peleus' armor and goes and attempts to prove his mettle to Etard by pretending he has killed Gawain. However, Gawain doesn't keep up the charade too long because he is immediately smitten with a tard and uh, essentially cucks Peleus. Uh, Peleus finds them together in bed because if you remember from the... Uh, historian Tries to Recall the Entire Messy Plot of the Arthurian canon episode, episode two. Uh, Gawain is a bit of a shyster and he loves the ladies. And, uh, once again, Day of Patel owes, uh, King Bertaliak a handjob. Um, so, Peleus is extremely distraught because, um, the guy who was supposed to be, uh, a wingman instead, uh, fucked fuck to the woman he loved. So what he does is he stabs the sword, his sword, into the bed between them, which shows that not only he is alive, but he refused to kill a man as noble as Gawain in his sleep. Although, to be said he's not very that fucking noble if he's fucking other men if he's if he's off fucking around but this also plays into that concept of arthuriana being taking the piss out of english and being like oh you guys love chivalry so much so here's your knight who's a cuckold here's your knight who's a cuckold here's your knight you got cuckolded knights you got knights who do the cuckolding um So, um, in some versions of the tale, what happens is Peleus then tries to throw himself into the lake, which is uh, the Enchanted Lake. That is uh, uh, where Arthur and Gawain got their swords, Excalibur and Gallatin. However, he is rescued by one of the ladies of the wake, whose name is Nimue. I think I'm saying that right. N-I-M-U-A. Nimue. Nimue. Nimue falls in love with Peleus immediately, and she's like, and she feels sad about the tale. She's like, we're going to get that bitch back. Nobody disrespects a man this pretty. So, what she does is she finds uh, Etarda and she makes her fall madly in love with Peleus. However, because Peleus has been hurt and found her literally in bed with another man, he's like, fuck you. Absolutely not. How dare you and spurns her affections and he falls in love with nimue and it is actually um, in the tradition he marries her and becomes the consort to the lady of the lake all right yeah so that was just a fun little arthuriana story i found because um, i couldn't find any demons and lockets but uh here's another story about how gawain is a problematic figure <laughs> Our next episode is called Wicca Envy, which is uh, came out on the thirteenth uh, of January, nineteen ninety nine. In this episode, uh, the bosses of Peru, who are both warlocks, use astral projection to manipulate her into stealing for them and to attempts to steal the charmed one's powers from them. Um, so this one had to do with mind manipulation um, again. A bit tricky um astral projection it tends not to be a trait that many appearing in visions is extremely common in mythology but like uh, like the act of astral projection is a little bit iffy in terms of messing around with people's minds i did find the uh satori So my Legend of Zelda fans, anybody who has been playing an obnoxious amount of Tears of the Kingdom, uh, I'm looking at you, Elise. Um, They will know the Satori as the little, as a majestic blue horse, who if you give an apple to a cherry tree, he will come and he'll mark all the caves on your map, which is like super helpful. Um... satori in uh as a yokai however is actually a monkey shaped creature which uh, reads human minds and then messes with people either by sitting there and repeating your thoughts back to you faster than you can say them uh or just uh doing some general crazy shit and finding ways to manipulate you so that they can eat you um in some yokai myth they are benevolent but um they're off it's and they can live in peace with humans, but it, it usually depends. It can go either way. Uh, the next episode is called The Feats of Clay, which came out on the 20th of January 1999. In this episode, uh, Phoebe's ex-boyfriend Clay comes and asks assistance, uh, especially from Prue, since she works at an auction house, in order to uh, get rid of a magic urn from Egypt, which is uh, imbued with dark power. So I found this really interesting article about Egyptian demons. Um I'm gonna have to reread it um at my own leisure at some point. It's a really interesting and it goes into a lot of differences because it's hard to talk about Egyptian demons because the concept of a demon as we know it is the word demon, uh first off it's Greek, the word demon, and then many times when we're talking about demons we're looking at them in a Judeo-Christian complex. Um, which does not help for uh, something like uh, ancient Egyptian traditions, which were around for thousands of years before uh, fucking any Judeo- uh, the Judeo-Christian beliefs did. Um, so what I found about Egyptian demons is that they were often associated with gods uh, carrying out their will uh, using uh, sometimes known as they were either wandering or solitary they often uh, were seen as the uh, causes for unseen maladies, such as headaches, disease, and nightmares. Oftentimes uh, they would be uh, sent by uh, Osiris, who was the god of the dead, as we learned in our last episode, gods who die. Or no, the episode was called Killing God with the Power of Friendship. Um, my shorthand notes was for the episode was gods who die. Uh, but yeah, and it's. Um, I have a really interesting article I need to reread about it. And it has to deal with uh, demonology in ancient Egypt. And uh, if you want the article, uh, get, hit me up and I'll, I'll send it to you. I got it for. I, it was one of those websites that I didn't realize when I clicked on it on my phone that would download the PDF on my phone for free. But uh, hey, knowledge should be free. Stop putting paywalls in front of things. One thing you should know in the dispensement of free knowledge is that if you ever find an article that you really want that's hidden behind a paywall if you message the person who wrote it there is a nine out of ten chance that they will send it to you for free so keep that in mind all right the next one i did not have to do a lot of reaching for this is an actual thing charm did it wrong but i could actually find stuff about this one so the next episode is the wendigo which came out on february 3rd 1999 um get out of here moth Okay, so in this episode, Piper is attacked by a werewolf-like creature, which um, they have to uh, work on vanquishing uh, without uh, Prue's ex-boyfriend, Andy, finding out that the FBI agent he is working under is actually this werewolf-like creature, and they have to vanquish the original Wendigo, or else Piper will succumb and become a Wendigo herself. Now, in the episode, the Wendigo are like werewolf creatures. That is not necessarily the case. So there are two... There's a few different types of traditions. So Wendigo are... are, So I ripped this definition directly from Britannica, uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica. Wendigo are mythological cannibalistic monsters in the spiritual tradition of the North American Algonquin-speaking tribes. So it's a Native American monster. There are two main ways this is done. As a creature, they are 15 feet tall with ashen, emaciated flesh, and they smell of rotting flesh with uh, sunken or glowing eyes. Um, They feast on human flesh and uh, can only be killed by either using silver, uh, fire, or the uh, decapitation or heart removal, similar to like a vampire. However... There is also, they can also be a spiritual entity that possess people lost in winter storms. They're often seen as the like malevolent force of winter, uh, turning people against one another when they should be cooperating to for a better survival. Um, the, uh, my gamers in the room will recognize the Wendigo from Until Dawn, where the spirit of the Wendigo was uh, encased and transformed humans who uh, ate human flesh um very good game until dawn um i have to replay it because my playstation network got fucked up when i got my ps5 and so i will be i have to redo it to get all my trophies back and maybe i'll platinum in that game because it doesn't seem like it'd be a hard game to platinum but i gotta go through final fantasy 16 first um so a fun little anecdote to add to Windigo's: in 1879 a Cree. A hunter-gatherer named Swift Runner claimed that a Wendigo spirit uh, entered his dreams and told him to eat his family. So he killed his family. He was found guilty of murder and was hung for his crimes later in 1879. But uh, that was a fun little anecdote I found that there was an actual man who claimed that he was uh, taken over by a Wendigo and killed his family. All right. All right. Our next episode, uh, From Fear to Eternity, came out on February 10th, 1999. In this episode, there is a demon named Barbus who is the demon of fear, and he is ki- trying to kill 13 witches on Friday the 13th. Um, in this episode, he attempts to kill Prue multiple times by having her drown, and then uh, realizes that Phoebe's greatest fear is uh, one of her sisters dying, so he tries to drown Prue in front of Phoebe. However, Peru is able to overcome her fears through the uh, magical sensation of feeling her dead mother. Um, This one I had to get a little creative. Uh, Fear demons are not easy to find. When I searched fear demons, um, this episode of Charmed came up. So uh, I instead will uh, bring Phobos, who is the Greek god of fear, uh, child of Ares and Aphrodite. Uh, often accompanied Ares in battle be alongside uh, Eris, his aunt, or the goddess of chaos. Quick tangent. Eris is one of my favorite fucking goddesses. When I was little, and a little bit of me now, because it's entrenched in my personality. For better or for worse. I loved Eris. Because the way I love her as, like, a person. Because, for people who don't know, the way that... The whole thing, the Trojan War, (laughs) traces back to the marriage of Thetis and whoever the fuck Achilles' father was. I can't remember his name. I remember Thetis' name because there's, uh, one day I want to get a tattoo, um, and it's like this classical Greek picture, but it's Thetis dipping Achilles in the river Styx, but like in one of a fry basket like you would at McDonald's. (laughs) Uh, that is a tattoo i wish to get someday on my percentage um so what happens is uh eris the goddess of chaos is not invited to their wedding service so she gets pissed off and she pulls a maleficent she's like i'm gonna curse some fuckers so what she does is she throws in a golden apple that says to the fairest," in between athena aphrodite and Hera. And they choose Paris to pick the winner, and each of them try to bribe Paris. Aphrodite bribes Paris with Helen of Troy, the most beautiful woman of Greece. And he's like, Dibs, I'll take that. Steals away Helen, causes the Trojan War. Now, I don't know about y'all, and I don't know what this says about me, but the ability to start a chain of reaction of events from throwing a piece of fruit to the biggest war the ancient peoples ever knew. Ooh, such, oh, yes, goals. It was probably part of the reason why I want to become a chaotic forest witch. Hag in the Like, hag in the woods. Sowing chaos. <laughs> Apple? Um, but Eris was the brother of Achilles. Uh, not Achilles. A brother of Ares. And she rode into battle with Phobos. Phobos isn't really in any myths. Uh, however, he is the personification of fear. Uh, specifically, especially the fear felt in man when they're about to face a battle um it is said however that alexander the great made offerings to phobos before the battle of galu Gau gal... gal gal gamela gal... Gamela. Gal... gamela that's how you fucking say that wow uh i'm sorry my ancient uh it would be ancient persian is not that great because this was uh one of the great battles between alexander the great and darius the third um it is said that he uh he either prayed to instill fear in darius's armies or to remove the fear from his own armies and i don't know i thought it was a little neat um i have mixed feelings about alexander the great some of the things he does is cool some of the things he does is weird um but uh at the end of the day we all love a bi icon so okay and now we reach the uh final episode of this first uh mythos of series and uh i'm looking at the time on my audacity and uh between a patreon plug and some rambling stories uh, i'm actually gonna hit my hour so that's pretty fun um so the last episode is secrets and guys this is the 14th episode of the first season and it came out on the 17th of february i don't know why i wrote 2022 this came out in ninety nine. Uh, So in this, the sisters find out that Piper's boyfriend, Handyman Leo, is actually a white lighter, an angel designed to help them. And he is currently working with them because there is a innocent man named Max who is being forced into assisting demons to rob a bank because he can't get over his wife's death and be a good parent. Um, I focus more on the guardian angel aspect, uh, Leo, as their guardian angel was hinted at and done with, uh, earlier episodes, but, uh, this is the big one. So, uh, guardian angels are believed to be an angel assigned to protect and guide either a particular person, group, or nation. In most cases, um, there is, uh, hierarchies or groupings of angels. Uh, guardian angels are, in the Christian tradition, tend to be lower ranking angels, um so i will do a another i have an episode planned uh about the spheres of angels uh going into heavier detail in them um but for the purposes of this episode um there are three spheres of angels uh, and the lower angel which the lowest tier of angels their three orders are the ones which guardian angels come from these spheres were uh, cemented in place uh, by a pers- writer named Pseudo-Dionysus uh, in On the Celestial Hierarchy and also in Thomas Aquinas' Summa Theologiae. Um, I know those names sound weird. You've probably heard of Thomas Aquinas before, but Pseudo-Dionysus is something that happens when a author is claimed to be one person, but we uh, it's you can use handwriting and well not handwriting but like writing analysis analysis to see that it's actually multiple people and it's like a collection work there's one that's written by like a pseudo aristotle which has to do with like on the issues of childbirth so it's like oh if you want to have a boy you need to when you sleep with pregnant you need to make sure you're laying on your left side and you need to do this position under this moon phase and you have to come at this time in order to make a boy and that kind of shit so pseudo is on the Celestial hierarchy was probably written by multiple people. But we don't know who, because the work collectively is written under the name of a Dionysus. Um, a fun little note that I found as I was looking at the hierarchies of angels, again, it's going to be its own episode at some point, uh, is in Islam there are eight groups of angels according to Fakir al-Din al-Razi, who wrote in 1209 uh, Common Era. And this is 1209 on the Judeo calendars. I do not know what it is on the uh, Islamic calendar, because I don't remember how many years off the Islamic calendar is. Um, I'm going to do some live, in real-time Googling. What year is it in... Uh, Islamic calendar. Okay. Okay. So, last year was 1444 um, and this is after the show So, it's currently 1445. So... In twelve oh, let's see, twelve oh nine. Nope, it's giving me the uh, calendar for their year of twelve oh nine, which would have corresponded to 1794, 1795. ninety five. All right, well that was a fail. Sorry guys. Um, I don't know. I'm pr- but. The article I was using where I found the uh, hierarchy of angels according to Islam by Fakir al Din al Razi uh, was 19, uh, 1209 Common Era. So, in that, there are eight groups of angels, uh, depending on how close they are to God, and the guardian angels had their own section. And, yeah, that is this first episode of the Mythos of Charmed. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. I uh, hope you guys liked this uh, type of episode, the Mythos of. Um, I've got a bunch of different options on the wall um, to try for uh, future episodes. We've got the Mythos of Billy and Mandy. We've got the Mythos of Buffy, because that's an obvious choice. Um, The Mythos of Devil Survivor 2. Uh, yeah, there's a bunch of little different ones I could do. I could do a mythos of some of the episodes of season two of Charmed. Uh, like I said, I won't go past season three and I won't go past season five with Buffy. But that is entirely up to reception and if people want to hear more of this. Um, next week's episode is going to be another uh, mini segment one. I'm torn between the two mini segments, so I'm not going to reveal what it is today because it'll depend on how much research I get done during the week because I am very lazy and I'd save everything for the last minute. Uh, yeah, so uh, if you like the episode, um, I probably should have mentioned this before. If you liked the episodes, uh, please follow them on your podcatcher of choice and uh, review and leave them five stars. Um, it would be nice to see. Um, I don't know how to, um, I got a couple five stars reviews on Spotify, which I am incredibly grateful for, and thank you for doing so, if you are the ones who did so um and i would love to uh i don't know i'll do shout outs fuck it yeah if i like uh i know on uh amazon not amazon fucking apple music you can uh leave uh reviews and uh, if you leave five hours reviews i'll read them on the fucking podcast i am so excited that people actually like this um so yeah please follow and leave five star reviews um tell friends um, in the next few months, um, I'm going to be doing some guest starring on other podcasts. Um, I will, uh, if you make sure to follow me on, uh, at White Trash Historian on Instagram, I will be posting, uh, info about those when they come out. And, um, yeah, uh, you can also follow me on TikTok at White Trash Historian. I don't post a lot on there. I'm meaning to start doing so, um, but that's going to be, Less about the podcast and more about just general shit like uh, video games or card games. Uh, So if you like video games and card games, uh, follow me on TikTok. Um, And as always, uh, thank you for listening. I'll see you all next week. And uh, uh, blessed be.